Hi, James. Um, yes, we have Amajid here. Amajid Singh, actually, who um, I've known. We were discussing this before the show. I think I've known. I think I've known you since I was twelve. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's about right. Is that about seventh, seventh or eighth grade? Yeah, right. In, yeah. Now we were. I knew you as a guy that lived on a block with another kid that I knew, but we didn't really become friends until middle school of eighth grade, right? I think that's about when it was about eighth grade because <laughs> I, I had uh, uh, we had a mutual friend that was in my mechanics class, Troy. Oh yeah, and, and this is how I think we we kind of met. Yeah. So James, once upon a time, you probably remember this. There used to be classes in middle school oh, yeah. called power tech, um, drafting. Yes, once upon a time, you actually got educated at middle school. They didn't wait till college. That was so, well, no, it's, it, it's courses you don't generally get at college either. I mean, it, it's mechanical classes like woodshop and, and oh, that's shop. true. And we oh, in high school it, we got bumped up because we were allowed to take now plastics. Oh wow! And um, there, was, I mean, just. The high school that we went to had so many fun classes, even though the high school generally had like the worst teachers on the planet. The actual classes they offered were really cool. It's funny because I, I took a wood class when I was in eighth grade and didn't really take it seriously or, or was interested in it that much. Uh, and then when I got to college, I got really serious about it because I, I, stu I studied industrial design and <laughs> took wood one and wood two and, and metal one and metal two and I wound up you know bas basically being an instructor in those those classes <laughs> yeah I don't think they would allow the the wood class that I had in high school I mean they they just let you loose and I, I remember cutting my thumb on the bandsaw and wow. no one cared do you, I know well, do you know what's funny do you remember okay so this is gonna be gruesome for those of you that don't like gross stories turn the volume down so do you remember that one kid he was, I can't remember his name anymore, but he decided to go dancing in the woodshop class and he was doing twirls in class and hit one of the blades that was on and it went zing, 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 zing four times so that now all of his fingers were even, were even. And that no, I, I don't, he I don't basically remember. cut off all the ends of his fingers. Do you remember that? that was in high school. That's no, but crazy. I do, I do remember a kid in high school that was in my, my mechanic shop that thought it would be funny to throw a firecracker into a, a driving uh, another car that was driving down the road with him, and it blew back into his car. He picked it up and it blew his fingers off. Yikes! <laughs> you kids, wow! <laughs> this is Arizona. Tough crew. Yeah, this is the Wild West when the Wild West was still here. Rough crowd. I, I remember the, when I had a mechanics class. And this kid got a new truck, you know, with the big tires and the oh, big the, things. The ones goes, that James loves. And he goes, he goes, he goes Let, let's go for a ride. I said, okay, and we're going. And he's driving in the desert and we're going in this ditch and we're half over. And this is a brand new truck. He goes, isn't this fun? I said, no. I, he goes, why, why are we doing this? <laughs> There's a road uh, next to here. We don't need to cut through the desert. I, I didn't understand. <laughs> I was going to do a thing before we start, but it works. I feel like we're already starting. Oh, you don't? Well, I mean, I could ask you if you you gotten your uh, passport yet, Christopher. Oh, right. As I wanted to talk about this whole vaccine passport. And I saw this thing the other day and uh, and I think it was in bad taste. But at the same time, I, I did laugh to myself. I'm sorry to admit. But they were saying that instead of actually getting the little card that you get and you have to carry it around everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. They just give you a gold star and oh, you sew it on God. your on your. Damn. Is that terrible, Christopher? I saw the same thing, and that that was such a bad tweet on every possible level. 
Well, what about was, this it was one? A, I got another one. It was absolutely awful analogy. It was completely the oh, opposite. Oh, yeah. It, it, but not, not only being, uh, you know, anti-Semitic, it's also completely opposite of, of what that all stood for. It was just, I can't remember the person who tweeted that, but it's like, hey, hey, this is a sign. I'm really stupid. <laughs> well, one I did see and I did not think was stupid or writing that line is um, a lot of these people that are touting about, let's get this thing going, um, you know, where you walk into an airport or you walk into a school or you walk into a restaurant with your vaccine card. Those same people are also the ones that are making the argument for my body, my my decision. But yet at the same time, they're really kind of pressuring everybody, whether you like it or not, you have to get a vaccine or we're just not going to let you do anything. Am I wrong about that? It seems like you're pushing it a little bit, but. I agree with that. I, I mean, they're saying, you know, you should choose if you want to have an abortion or not. It's your body. But yet when it's injecting some something into you, it's not your body. Yeah. And what's also funny is you and I, we don't really take any extra drugs. We don't have to. Like right, we yeah, avoid no, aspirin very, and Tylenol. Yeah. And I'm guessing, Abhijit, you don't really take anything that you need. To, no, just vitamins to. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do vitamins, so I do a lot of vitamins. I will get the vaccine, though. My I mean, favorite is gummy bears fact, and Flintstones. I think, I'm, I think my wife is treating it like a, uh, a video game. Um, so I, I'm signed up, but you still have to try to get an appointment, and they don't they don't give appointments more than, what is it, like, no, I think it's about a month out, and they're all booked up. So she sits there. Sometimes she'll take like 15 or 20 minutes and just sit there and watch uh, the calendar because they'll they'll openings will come up sporadically and then she'll desperately try to get uh, an appointment and you know always fails <laughs> but that's how she got her initial appointment which is sitting there and like like a video game watching your screen waiting for a little <laughs> pop-up to come and hitting the hitting it as quickly as she could and then filling it out and then getting to the next step and the, oh no it failed well now she can get a, a free donut when you get the vaccine right isn't that oh place? yeah right did you see that yeah but it's that's crisp, crispy creams it's right? crispy cream for does, the rest does that, the rest does of the that year. count <laughs> but that's kind of ironic because one of the major contributors to death with COVID is obesity. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's sending kind of a mixed message. I, I don't, I don't understand it. And the, uh, well, the other thing I don't understand is that they advertise that they're going to be do trials with pregnant women. I think whoever volunteers to do that trial, they should take their baby away when it's born. I mean, that's 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 incredible. Can you imagine doing tests on your baby? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, <laughs> without its consent, right? Well, it's it's an interesting ethical question. I, I think I I mean I can't imagine saying I want to volunteer to do this. You know, I I can't imagine. I could understand once it's tested to say okay, the vaccine is safe, get it, but to be a test subject. With an unborn baby, I think is really odd. It is. I guess I guess you have to have a lot of um, faith in the vaccine. Well, so I suspect that you, it's probably going to be leaning more towards people in the sciences that would do that. Um, but also, you got to think, in most cases, the, the women who are pregnant are not going to be in high-risk groups. Yeah. So why, why do you say that? Why well, do you say age that? Age-wise, right? Age-wise, they're probably not... I mean, yes, there was just a 50-year-old who gave birth, but... Generally speaking, they're going to hopefully be under 30. And of course, they can be overweight but or, or diabetes and all the other things. But uh, hopefully that they are in slightly better shape. Yeah, if you're under, was it 50, you have a 99.98% chance of surviving. Why would you risk your baby for this? Mm -hmm. You know, it seems odd. 
you know, I, that wasn't on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the kids aren't having sex these days anymore, so it's really not that much of a problem. There's a good point. How can you have sex if you're at home playing well, video games? It's not that. It's it's a trend over the past decade that the the child, the the sex amongst teenagers and young people in general, not just teenagers, uh, has gone down significantly. It's because I think they're too afraid. I think we've uh, programmed to be programmed them to be afraid of everything, so they're afraid of each other now. I mean, they they don't even go out like by themselves. It's mostly they go go out in groups. I started seeing this uh, at the. I was. I think I was. The, but going in groups has always been a thing with teenagers. Uh, not the way it is now. I, I I think I started seeing the the, the beginnings of it in the in the nineties. Um, you know, back then we were still going out and having dates. That's whatnot, true. That's true. I got myself a wife. How about you? <laughs> Well, funny enough. But also, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it, it also comes into the, the whole um, Me Too movement. I mean, everybody is so afraid to touch each other now. Do you think, though, it's also the access to pornography that the kids have? There's some now. I mean, I think this may be. Oh, right. It, why why go out when you can take care of your business at home? Well, yeah, actually, well, I think it, it might be. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It might be the op- opposite side. Um, there, the data is still very young in this in this area, so we don't know. And so the ideas I've heard are not um, haven't haven't been tested yet. But some of the women talking about this, uh, who are um, sex scientists, if you will, are theorizing that people are becoming afraid of sex. Kids are becoming afraid of sex because of the porn they're seeing. Because the porn is not, you know, pornography is not sex. It's not normal sex. And then some of the stuff that's going around now. It's just kidding, I've never like heard the kids. That. So the kids now just assume that strangulation is part of sex. That apparently no, no. That, that so well, the woman that I remember, uh, I remember a uh, podcast was on the Fem Spanners, but I don't remember her name. Some of us. All right, all right, all right. All right. I got, I got to stop this conversation. That was so, well, no, it's, <laughs> I'm going to get some coffee. Um, I'm Arjit. You're having the tea. Let's get the warmer upper and save the sex, teenagers, and strangulation for some other day. All right, good deal. You've been in your house so long, you don't even remember what the sun looked like. But you ain't ready to leave those four walls. But you're sure tired of looking at that dim floor. It's ugly. And you want something a little more interesting. Well, you should check out Doorages when you want an outrageous floor. We got all kinds of fun patterns like flying monkeys and some of my favorite paisleys and bubblegum balls we got pizza floor pepperoni if you like it if you're still learning how to read we got alphabet floor and that ain't spilled soup we got covered wagons with horses we got grapefruit and green grass fire trucks and fireflies we got chicken for your kitchen Heck, we got a floor to look like you're floating in outer space staring at a big old saturn Possibly your anus. Keep your mind clean and come on down and go rages for some go outrageous flooring. Woo-hoo! That's G O R A G E O U S dot com. See you soon. All right, let's try this tea that Amarjit brought over. I have these little espresso cups. Do you like them? <laughs> These are espresso cups. These are a little big for espresso. I guess so. But what is it? But say? they're tiny. They're I love New York. Uh, these are wonderful little mugs. I'm very surprised for seeing you having <laughs> such a small portion size, though. I I use it to feed the kids hot chocolate. <laughs> I just I just think I, I think if Christopher is having larger portion size. All right, let's hear. Let's just taste. Oh, it's spicy. Yes, not too spicy no, no, though. No. Well, I think for people who aren't 
in, uh, initiated into spiciness, this would probably kill them. Oh, yeah, I suppose. It's not making me sweat well, or anything. I, I remember I was at a Thai restaurant one time uh, with my parents, and uh, my dad said, is this spicy? He said, oh, no, it's not spicy. You can go ahead and order that. And it nearly killed him because I, I forgot how he, he doesn't eat spicy food at all, and I guess I'd become more accustomed to it than I realized. So we had, to, we had to swap dishes. Why do we no call problem. anything that's not coffee tea, even though it doesn't have tea in it? This has tea in it. it oh, it does have yeah, tea. It has, it has black tea in it. Oh, I don't really taste it. Well, not all of us do. Yeah, that. I Some, don't put so much black tea in it, but it, it just gives it a little flavor. Oh, it's yummy. Some but this us, is what you, you normally get on the street in India. So, you you know, there's all these people on the street making things, you know, and, and so you, you I have a favorite stand where I sit at and I sit outside and have a chai and then watch the cows and the people walk by. Nice. <laughs> so that's a little bit spicy and there's definitely some flavors in there and it's got the milk as well. So it's a bit of a meal. I, I could really see sitting comfortably on, on on the sidewalk and drinking this just very sedately. Yeah. Well, not not like that, but just, you know, it's not like a beer. It's not like, it's not like coffee. It's just kind of nice. Yeah. Well, Amajit does not look like your typical American. Would you agree? To me, you're asking me. Yeah, I'm asking, <laughs> I'm asking all James and. Well, Christopher, I live in the Coronado neighborhood. We have two Sikh temples there. Are they called oh. temples? Yeah, you call okay. it. Well, the we have two Gurudwaras, but the temple is fine. Gurudwaras. Um, and so, yeah, this is pretty normal for me. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever been? On, uh, there's one um, on. Oh, what is that? Oak. What are we talking about? One what? The, the Sikh temple, the Gurudwara. Yeah. One is it's quite beautiful now, and they have uh, at night it, it's it's lit up quite quite lovely. So I don't know if you've ever been down there, but it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I've been to the 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 main one is the Golden Temple, in Amritsar, and uh, part of the temple is in gold, and and they feed for free, close to a hundred thousand people a day. Wow. And it's so organized. You in India, anything organized is incredible. To to, <laughs> to to do this, and it's all by volunteers. And so you have one room that's probably the size of this patio we're on, where people are just on the ground uh, opening garlic. Oh, you have cool. like fifty people washing dishes, and you can go there twenty four hours a day and get free food. And it's good. It's good. Well, Venice Beach used to have a day. I don't know if you remember when we used to. Uh, we used to live in near Venice beach. They would have a day once a year and they would pay homage to a lot of Indian traditions. And there was always free food there. Yeah. This is, you know, we're talking off the mic that the, the Sikh religion, there is 10 gurus who started this or who, who formed this religion. And each but let's be clear. You're a Sikh. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, the, 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 there are 10 gurus and each one contributed something else to, to the religion. Each one had kind of a personality. And one of them said no one should go no one should go hungry or without a place to sleep. So even if you're not Sikh, if you go to one of the temples and say, I'm hungry, I need a place to sleep, they'll help you. Really? Yeah. And so when I, I have a motorcycle and I drive throughout India, I've driven through India, through Nepal, and what I do is I drive 
all day because you don't want to drive at night in India because it gets quite dangerous. You can't see the holes in the, mm. the street and, and people drive crazier and there's no lights. It's it's quite dangerous. Sounds like New York. And so, <laughs> no, no. It's funny because I was watching a YouTube video where this guy was driving a motorcycle around New York and he was his whole thing was, I want to show you how to drive in traffic. And in the comments were all these Indian people saying, where's the traffic? (laughs) (laughs) It was quite funny uh, because you have, you'll be on the freeway and there'll be a bus coming at you on the wrong side of the freeway and honk its horn and you have to move. You have no choice. And so they have the cool little signs with the warning that somebody's driving on the wrong side of the road or the freeway. (laughs) There's only one rule in driving in India. And this is the bigger the vehicle, the more rights it has. And 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 they will run you over. They don't care the bus drivers. I mean, they're up. Well, that sounds like London. I've been. Well, I've been. Well, I've been <laughs> no, no. This, this no, is. Yeah, this no, is very I different. haven't been to India, but I have been to China. So, I, and I and I don't know if it's exactly like India, but I I was flabbergasted at the driving. They they had beautifully paved roads and beautifully striped paint. You know, markings on the road. It's where to be. No one cared whatsoever about the markings. There, it was just. Uh, absolute chaos. People were going on, the, uh, as you said, on the opposite side of the road, whatever speed, wherever they could get through. And it, it actually reminded me of some early videos, uh, sorry, sorry, film from the 20th century in, in the United States before we had any motor laws. And people, you know, you had horse-drawn carriages and, and motor vehicles and pedestrians and bicycles all just sort of. Well, roads were originally for pedestrians. Sidewalks uh, for when it was rainy, so right? Before roads, cars. Roads before were, cars. Yeah, no, they would have been for horses and wagons. Not pedestrians. They yeah, there, pedestrians there's there. really like I, I've been on a freeway in in Delhi, and there's enough room for probably about five or six lanes. It's a wide freeway, but no lines. Mm-hmm. And so I'm driving, and and perpendicular to me, someone's coming straight at me, and I don't know where they're going or where they're coming from. It's crazy. And anyway, so what I would do is I would drive my motorcycle from you know, for example, the north, and all the way down to Goa in the winter. And I drive during the day until it got dark out. And then I would find a Sikh temple and I would go there and, and say, can I sleep here? And they would feed me and I'd sleep there. And I did, I would do this all the way down. In the beginning, when I first started, I would just sleep at the, the, the kind of, you don't want to call it like a truck stop, but it's like a, they call it Daba and it's a restaurant, but they have these beds, but not with any mattress. It's just wires. And they, you, they put a piece of plywood across, like a little thin piece, and they serve you your food, and then you can take it off and just lay down and sleep. And so this is where really? I would sleep. Yeah, it's mainly for the truck drivers, but but the truck drivers sleep in their trucks, so I don't know. But I would sleep, and you would just sleep outdoors. And I would do this for a while, but then then I started going to the Sikh temples and doing this because it, it, it was nicer. I would meet people and... and uh, it was quite interesting. And so I knew like the route of all the Sikh temples going from the north of India down to Goa. Now, the, you're, you haven't always been Sikh. The first Sikh I had ever met, um, I was in New Mexico. And I was at actually a hot spring near Taos. And um, I was doing what people do when they go to a hot spring. And when I got out, you know, I'm getting dressed and and there was a gentleman there and he was preparing to leave also. And he was getting his clothing on and he had his, and we call this a turban, yes? Mm-hmm. And he had his turban. He's preparing that, making sure everything was proper in the mirror and all that. And so I, I, I never met a Sikh before. I didn't know what a Sikh was. And I just basically, 
asked him a little bit about it. And the short answer that he gave me, because obviously he didn't feel like talking to some stranger in a dressing room. Anyways, he said, um, well, we have a couple traditions. One is we always carry a comb. Um, mm-hmm. One of them was a knife or sa- saber. The kirpan. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that he, you live a lifestyle that is clean. Yes. You want to expand on that? Yeah. So the scriptures of the Sikhs, the Guru Granth Sahib, is a book that was put together by the, the 10 gurus. There's 10 gurus. And the first one who kind of came up with the religion, you can say, he became self-realized. And this was at a time when there were a lot of Hindus and Muslims and the Hindu religion, there's hundreds of different gods. And, and uh, when he became self-realized, you can read his first words in the, in the scriptures. And it was Ekankar Satnam. What does that mean? Ek is one. And Kar is the creator. And Satnam is truth. And so the, he says that there's only one creator and this is the only truth. And the creator and the creation are one. And so there's no duality. And if you read the scriptures, it's a path to becoming self-realized. It's not told in parable form like all the other religions. It's just a way to align your, yourself with God through people who have done this, who mm-hmm. have become self-realized. And so it's quite interesting. If you read the scriptures, it talks about one of the phrases is, if you conquer your mind, you can conquer the world talking about the psychology if you overcome all the, the resistance in your mind then the world is yours you can do what you want and uh yeah it's a quite positive i think religion where there's no hell and there's no things like this but it's it's how to live a healthy life and how to honor god and this is why the sikhs don't cut their hair is because imagine that you buy a picasso painting you would never go and say, oh, I think he should have used blue or red here. Or he should trim this. You would never do that. You say, well, he's an artist and he knows much more than I do. And who's the most creative being is God. And he created you in this this way. Why would you want to change that? And so out of this honor is that you don't cut your hair. And the reason for the turbans is quite interesting also is back then, there, there still is a caste system in India, but it was very strong and only the upper caste wore turbans. And so one of the Sikh gurus said, everyone wear a turban. This way they don't know which caste you are. Mm. To make things, but give an even playing field. Yeah, because the caste system is very strong even to this day. And this is back, you know, many, many years ago. And then also the men took on the name Singh because also you can know the caste Mm. through the name. Oh, so Singh, tell me, I read this a long time ago. Singh means prince. No, Singh means lion. Lion. Okay. The lion of God. Really? Yeah. And then the, the the female last name is Carr. And this is... Always. Yes. And this is... Well, I mean, now some people don't change it, but but this is what he said. Traditionally the way... And, and uh, this is princess. Oh, okay. Maybe I read this. Yeah. One. It was a long time ago. And so and so the the women take this name and the men take Singh. But I mean, in, in India now, this isn't done all the time, but still many of them do this. And it takes away the caste system. And it, it also is the, you know, the name is a mantra. And when you hear a word repeated over and over, it has a vibration, has effect on you. And this is why people, when they're on this path, they change their name to have some significance. So hmm. the the... 
words that they're saying when they say their name and what they're hearing back creates this vibration, this this path. And so well, the names, all the all these Sikh names have have significant meaning that is related to the destiny or that, your potential. That sounds like a much healthier perspective than just relying on popular music to drill something. Into <laughs> <it>. <laughs> well, they they have they have uh, these songs from the guru the the, the scriptures and uh, the Gurbanis, and they're chanted and and sang, mm -hmm. and they're quite beautiful. But it's very they're very powerful. I mean, when you, you hear them, you, you can feel it. it it's interesting. I, one of the women I work with in our neighborhood, uh, her name is Nirankar, and I yeah. just always assumed that was just her first name, but I don't know now if that's her first name or if that's... Well, the, the car is her last right, name. Right. And the, the, but I don't how know is it she, spelled? Is it spelled in English or American K English? K-A-U-R is the oh, last name, oh, Carr. Okay. I, I don't know if that if she's got, if that's... Her Amer if she has an American Americanized last name, or I just call her Nirankar. So yeah, it, <laughs> but the, I, I did have to do some. Like I said, we had two Sikh temp. We have two Sikh temples in the in the Cornano neighborhood. So I did a little bit of reading years ago, and um, one of the things that I, rem I vaguely remember was uh, the Sikhs. It it the way I was reading it, it sounded like the Sikhs were a little bit like the Red Cross. They would go and help out wherever they could. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, it just seemed like a very giving religion. Yeah. You know, like I said about the thing about feeding people, you know, they've, you go to any temple, they'll feed you. You don't have to be Sikh. And the Golden Temple, they're feeding 100,000 people a day. That's amazing. And and especially in India, I'm telling you, to be this organized in India is, is nearly impossible. And when you're driving through India, sometimes it's really hot in the summer and you'll be driving all of a sudden this, the traffic will stop. And you'll go, what's going on? And there'll be a table on the side of the road with these Sikhs filling up glasses of rose water to give people who are driving by the street. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see this once in a while. And so they do things like this. It's, uh, it's, it's quite nice in this respect. They're, they're, there's caring this way. And, you know, the, I think it's a very positive religion. Like I said, it's about becoming self-realized and it's really putting the power into the person. Instead of saying you're being judged or you're doing this, it's no, you're the one who's judging yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that about the food because um, as I walk through my neighborhood, I, they're, they're very friendly. Uh, it's a wonderful neighborhood to be, be in. And I was walking past one gentleman's home and the aromas coming out of his kitchen were amazing. And I, I commented on it. He invited me in. I mean, I, I had just eaten dinner so I, I couldn't eat anymore. But he was very uh, gracious and, and opening and open. The United States in. used to, I remember as a kid, the United States used to be a little more friendlier. People like, if you made a comment like, well, the food you, like if you smelled something, you gave somebody a compliment, immediately they would invite you in the next day or that week to come over for dinner. I mean, that's how I met all my neighbors, you know, was we meet them somehow and some conversations and play. The next thing you know, they're inviting us over for dinner. People just don't, I'm not talking pandemic America. I'm talking just last 15, 20 years, no one, no one invites anybody over for dinner anymore. Have you noticed that? I, I haven't been here in 20 years really. So it's hard for me to, to know. Well, that brings me to another point. <laughs> so you were not raised as a Sikh. You were raised in a, 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 a mixed marriage. So your father was Italian. So I'm assuming he was Catholic. Yeah, I was I was baptized Catholic, but out of birth, I guess because my mother is a Russian Jew, I'm I'm actually Jewish and Catholic, mm -hmm. and but neither of them were very religious. So I mean, I've I've was baptized 
And I, maybe I've gone to church on a few holidays and stuff like this, but they weren't religious people. And so I was exposed to it, but, uh, and we had Christmas, we lit the Hanukkah candles, but. You guys did, I've never remember seeing Hanukkah candles at your Yeah, house. it wasn't so much. I mean, my mother would do it and I learned the songs in, in Hebrew and would sing these, but. Uh, <laughs> You're kidding. No. You never brought this up. Is it because you were a teenager? I don't know. I never found, found a reason to talk about it. <laughs> you so, know, Christopher, if he had been a girl, I think you would have been more interested in it. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and clarify that. Oh, okay. When I was a teenager, I loved girls, but <laughs> I was very dedicated <laughs> to my buddies. When you say that's true, yeah, we're. Me, I mean, we we're good we, friends and stuff, but it was just I. I never. I don't know why I never thought about talking. It, it was not a big part. It wasn't any. Well, you never talked about your house. Yeah. Much, anyways. No. Neither one of us did. But you were at my. You were but at my I knew you. Yeah, I knew. I, I, mean, and my mom's, I lived with you for a while. So that's true. Well, you I'm, did I'm, live with I'm, me for I'm, a while I'm, with my family. I'm yeah. sorry, Christopher. I'm yeah, like yeah. projecting onto you a little bit because I, I was much more interested in the girls in high school. <laughs> I really, I didn't have that many friends because I was, I mean, guy friends because they just weren't that interesting to me. Well, you know, the hindsight 2020. I in the past, I thought, you know, I've missed a few opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about. Becoming this religion or, or not having that religion. I never, you know, I have this philosophy of, of life is to not try to become something, but to discover what's already within. Because when you try to become something, this is what causes trouble and there's nothing to become because you're already complete. You know, if, if you look at it from the, the perspective of, you can say, Sikhism or any religion or, or even just spirituality, the soul or the consciousness is already perfect because anything that changes dies, right? So your body eventually will change and it will die. The things that are not alive, even this cup or the chair will eventually disintegrate. And so anything that changes dies. The soul never dies and it keeps coming back and coming back. And so if it never dies, it's either imperfect or perfect, but it can't become what it's not. And so in, in yoga or spirituality or, or Sikhism, you consider the consciousness to be perfect. And so the only thing is to remove the resistance and let this consciousness flow out in the form of your self-expression. And so what I try to do is to just work on removing the resistance mm -hmm. because self-realization is not a process of addition, it's a process of subtraction, is to remove the resistance to this flow of consciousness. And I, I liken it to this way of, remember those projectors where you would put a slide in it and it would turn around and shine the, 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 the slide on the wall. And so what it would do is it would shine the white light and it would the, the reflective color would resist this and it would shine this on the wall. But if you remove the slide, it's just this pure white light. And so this is the resistance of your personality, mm -hmm. of your judgment, of your hangups, of your psychology that's resisting it and is showing all these colors. And what you want to do is remove this so it's just this white light that, that's being projected. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to becoming Sikh, when, when people say, oh, you converted or you became a Sikh, I, I don't see it this way. So that makes me feel a little uncomfortable because it's like I, I chose to do something and I, I, did, I changed something. But for me, it was just a matter of removing the resistance and then one day looking and saying, wow, I, I am, I am Sikh. I didn't know this. You've kind of given a do and you've given a new definition to me when people say I'm colorful. 
<laughs> that's, a, that's a great analogy. Well, it's true. I mean, when you say, oh, he's a colorful person, what are you talking about? Well, he's got a lot of neurotic behavior. <laughs> Seriously, right? Is, is what, what you're saying. That's actually and and this, is, this is also... Are you trying to say I'm neurotic? <laughs> no, you're, you're not that colorful. <laughs> but that's a compliment. Yeah. Uh, so that was an interesting analogy. Was that your analogy or did you... Yeah. That's a... Well, that's... And, I would say you should be proud of it, but that would probably be an impingement on... Well, well... <laughs> This is what I do is I go around teaching this around the world. Mm -hmm. And so oh, okay. I, I go around teaching workshops on yoga psychology and the principles of, of becoming self-realized of how to do this and how to remove these obstacles that are forming your habit patterns. When when did uh, Sikh, Sikhism begin as a religion? Oh, what was this? Now I forget to the, well, was it the 14th, 15th century? Well, I was say, I'm if a, I remember I'm right, a bad it was Sikh. closer to the 16th century. 16th, okay. I'm, I'm a bad Sikh. I forget. It's 14th, 15th, or 16th. It, actually, I take that back. I think you're right. It's 15th. But finished growing to what it is today in the 17th. But it's it's the, I think it's the third largest religion mm. in the world. I didn't and, know that. And the, the Sikhs have a very strong tradition. They're in the north of India. And when... They were India was being invaded by the Mughals. The Sikh Nihangs, the Nihangs are are this this form of Sikhs that are warriors, and they're they are tough. And a few thousand, I think it was under ten thousand of them, held out the Mughals for a long time. I mean, they were in the Mughals. They had hundreds of thousands of of, of fighters, mm -hmm. and as a result. The, the Sikhs were supposed to get their own country when they, they when the British left and everything, but they, they reneged on this. Yeah, the British wait, wait, who reneged? The Indian government. Oh, okay. And uh, because it's one of the richest states of, of India. They were trying to make it like a, a, a Sikh version of Pakistan. Because I know well, Pakistan, what everybody gives Israel crap because they created this whole country around the Jews, but they did the same thing in India for the for the Muslims, and that's what Pakistan is, but you're saying they never did it for the Sikhs. Well, no, no. Actually, there's a lot of Sikhs in Pakistan because that was right at the border of where, where the Indian uh, Sikhs were. But one of the things that they had negotiated is that that uh, the state would, would be its, its own country. And they just reneged on this and they, they, they didn't do this. But by really there's a legal document that says it should be its own country. Well, these days people are just filling in the oceans and creating their own land. Maybe they can get together and <laughs> organize that. I mean, Disney did it. But, but you see, you, you see, well, Disney doesn't have these warriors. You see these Nihongs <laughs> and, and you see them, they dress a little different. They have, uh, they wear blue. Mm -hmm. And they'll walk around with a big staff or a sword. And when you drive through uh, Punjab, which is the state uh, where where Sikhs are, come from, uh, you'll be driving a bus, the the government bus, and these government buses are 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 like a vehicle without shocks on on a road that is awful. It's incredible that these things drive, and when they come to a stop. You, I, I saw one time all these Nihongs, maybe about five or six of them, just surround the bus and they just climb onto the roof of the bus, and then and it's just like, wow, is it what a what a vision that was because they they just have this energy to them. They're they're fierce warriors. It's kind of like the Spartans. Yeah, maybe, it, maybe I don't well, know. So well, because we have in our Western, we're probably a little more familiar with the Spartans. And interestingly, I just I just learned this this past week. Apparently, the Thebians had their own uh, elite uh, 
warriors. We don't talk about them because apparently they were all homosexual. So we don't like that in the West. So we, <laughs> even, we though do they, now. even though they were the, uh, the, the equals to the Spartans that no one talks about them. <laughs> but okay, I, this was a long time ago. I read this. So I'm so sorry. I'm a jit, but I had read basically that the whole Sikh movement basically came out of war. And based on what you just said, is that accurate? Well, it didn't come out of war. It, it actually came out of love. It came out of uh, kirtan, which is the the chanting of of these the garbani, the chanting of the 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 mantras. But they became warriors because they had to to fight. You know, they had to. They were not Hindus. They were not Muslims. And then at this time too, you had the the Mughals who were invading, and and there's. You know they were they they were really tough. One of the gurus they they he said, okay, I want three volunteers to 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 die, and uh, he took one one in there supposedly to to kill to cut his head off, and then still two other people volunteered, and and it wasn't uh, he didn't do this. He was just seeing how tough these people were, and and there's a lot of stories about them fighting in wars and just how tough they are. If you go to the the Main temple, there's a museum, and you you can see some of of this. It's it's quite interesting. But it, it they were very warrior like, but but it was they have this kind of philosophy to to be a warrior of the soul and also a warrior of politics. Mm. And so, the, in fact, you, they, the symbol that they uh, have is a representation of this with two swords, one to be the, the the warrior of the soul and the other one to be the warrior of the worldly politics in, in the world. Um, I want to hear a little bit, because you travel all over India, Europe, even, even the United States. I, I just want to take a quick little break. I just want to get a little bit more coffee. And then I'd like to talk about some of your your trips, your adventures, and the things that you've done in how you talk to miscellaneous peoples. Okay. Sounds it's good, good timing because I need to go uh, give back this coffee that I got. Okay. <laughs> Life getting you down. Is your head always drooping towards the floor? And then seeing your horrible floor just makes you feel that much worse? What to do? Don't change you. That's too much work. Change your floor instead. Go Rageous Flooring is happy, sunny, exciting, rejuvenating flooring. They make flooring fun again. Woohoo. Go Rageous Flooring. For one, you just can't bear to look at your old, horrible floor anymore. You'll be so happy, you won't ever look at your floor again. Whoopee. That's GoRageousFlooring.com. GoRageousFlooring. G-O-R-A-G-E-O-U-S.com. While James is getting a little warmer upper for us, we have another podcast called Pop Sub Podcast. It's a lot of fun. We just kind of talk about whatever's popular this week or that month and uh, kind of give you a review of what's going on. Come and join us. Popsubpodcast.com. <laughs> so Amajit, when we're when you're traveling around, um, has the whole pandemic thing been in, at all happening? In, in, I mean, is it anything like the United States? Well, in, in India, the town I was living in, you would not know that there is any pandemic. Um, now, maybe 
in the in the state that I was living in, I, I would say on a day, maybe there's 15, 20% people wearing masks and they're wearing it very loosely and not, not really. And, and, and there's not so much enforcement. You can go into store without masks. It's, it's not like this. And one of the reasons is because no one's dying. I mean, you have in the state I was living in, I think the whole year, 400 people died. I think more than that die in a day in motorcycle accidents there. And you think they have a higher resistance to sickness? Well, they, they said the, a couple of things. One is they have a lot of turmeric in their diet, which is very good. And my own belief is that their immune systems are so strong that they're not going to get things like this. Because if you look at the way they've handled this in most of the world is they separated people. And when you separate people, you're actually weakening their immune system. In fact, there's a study that says if you grow up with a pet like a dog, your immune system gets stronger. You have less, the babies have less illness if there's a dog because they're touching the dog and they're getting, the, their system is fighting the germs. And in India, People don't even use to toilet paper. I mean, uh, sorry to be crass, but there's some towns you can't find toilet paper. People don't use it. It was like that here for a while. And, and yeah, but, <laughs> sorry. And and uh, and, and and when you you know go into a, a restaurant and stuff like that, they're not washing these dishes with hot water. There's no hot water. It's funny. I heard a girl complaining about this, and. Uh, you, you're in contact with people. When a family lives in a, a, a house, it's one room, literally one room, and the whole family sleeps in the same bed. And so when, when they're having them at home, there's no social distancing. And, you know, you go on the street, and there's so many people. The geographic size of India is one-third the size of the U.S., but it has, I think it's four times the population. Mm. And that's pretty significant. And so when you're on the street having a chai, that stand, there's no running water really there. What the guy does is he has a bucket and he basically takes your glass and he rinses it off in the water. And, and maybe some of them might use a sponge, some don't. And maybe 50 to 100 people will use that same glass. And this is happening the whole time. As soon as the lockdown stopped, this went back to normal and people, and you're doing it. So how many of the other person's germs are you getting? And, and so I think this is why one of the reasons why the, the mortality rate is, is very low there of this. Is there other uh, diabetes issues and overweight issues in India? Overweight. It's interesting because here overweight people usually on the economic uh, lower scale where in India it's the opposite mm -hmm. because the poor people are, are very thin because they're working so right. hard physically. Also but, is most of the life in India outdoors or indoors? It depends on which sex you are. If you're Please female, explain. it's in indoors. Okay. Uh, so, and if you're male, it's outdoors. Because I, I think, um, I don't know if there's science yet to back this up, but it's been my opinion that uh, the virus does not spread easily outside. So if you're living a lot outside. Yeah, but, but when they're in the house, they're in the house in mm -hmm. one room that's smaller than this patio with the whole family. Right. And you're not talking just a few kids. You're talking the parents. The I mean, you're talking 10 Just people. one or two kids per family, right? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. And, and, what is, and, what's the average? Uh, from my understanding, it was four Four kids on the average to most in families. In India? Yeah. 
that probably sounds about right. I, I don't I don't know for sure, but just from thinking about what I see. But you're also getting the the extended family that's living in the house, and and the neighbors are not so far away. I mean, it's not like you have lots of mm-hmm. space, and everyone is very close. They don't know personal space, which is really strange. Like, imagine going to a movie theater and it's empty. You're the only one, and you sit down, and then three people come and they all sit right next to you. Mm-hmm. And this is how India is. It's, it's very strange. You'll go someplace and you'll be sitting outside near the, the, the Ganges river just by yourself, just relaxing. And there will be no one there and all this place to sit and they'll come and sit right. I mean, within an inch of you and you'll say, Please, <laughs> give me some space. You have to tell them, <laughs> you know, and they don't, they, because they don't have the same concept of space. And so, well, it sounds like almost the preferred place is to be next to another human being. Yeah, and, and and then you go on a motorcycle, and there's four people on one motorcycle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you learn that a, a motorcycle is transportation for a family of four or five people. I've seen it, and this is very common. So there, there's no distancing. The mask thing is very loose. But when I went to Delhi, it was a little different because Delhi is a, a, a bigger city, and there you see more people wearing masks, but in the small towns, you don't. In the beginning when this happened, it was very, people were very scared of it because they're, they're not so understanding of what was really happening. And so if you got the virus, they would come and put a big red X on your house. So really? People, yeah. So people didn't in, in, uh, come to your house and people were committing suicide because wow. they were afraid that no one would ever talk to them again because of this. It's almost like the Black Plague, but yeah, with modern tendencies. Yeah, and well, this well, is India. Modern. This 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 we, is black peg people didn't kill themselves, did they? Uh, no, I say modern tendencies. You yeah. said you said modern tendencies. But so, 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 so this is what on. they would do, and and then there are so many suicides. The the number of suicides in India were were quite at one point was almost more than the people are dying from the virus. It sounds yeah. like the teenagers here in the United States, suicide and teenage. Oh, yeah. Since the I pandemic, mean, the suicides with teenagers again, have gone that's way up. That's, it may have been gone up uh, because of COVID, but it's also been spiking oh, we're, for we're going, a decade. We haven't seen what's going to happen. I think there's going to be years we're going to see the after effects on the kids, including babies, because babies learn how to read emotion through their right. facial expressions. I just and, saw, and, yeah, I just saw a report on that actually. And, and you look at everyone is facing this. I mean, you go on the street. Do you connect with anyone? Before you would walk on the street and you would see someone and you'd smile to them or just show a glance, and there's a connection. It's not a, a huge connection, but you connect to their 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 energy. Now, when was the last time you did this? Well, this is it's, this is a trend, and I think uh, what a lot of people have been pointing out across the entire or across our entire society from how children are being um, socialized uh, to how business is activating the what what covid's doing to the US is basically speeding up a lot of, of the uh, trends that we've seen all across our society in the past 10 years so you know businesses that were not online are are you know are failing and and there's there's an a um, acceleration of the business processes moving online. There's an acceleration of suicides and, and teen isolation. There's a, all these things are, and, and I bring this up because what you were talking about, you know, acknowledging other people as you're walking down the street. I've noticed this for the past several years. Anyone of my age or older will acknowledge our, each other, no problem. But the younger the people, the, the, the younger the people get, the less they acknowledge other people. 
like eye contact, down the street, right? They won't make eye contact. Won't make eye contact. Won't say hello. And I, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast in 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 the past, where it's almost like a power that we have. Even though I'm, I'm not a big guy. I'm not sure I'm five eleven, but I weigh 150 pounds. I'm nothing. You could push me over with a with a light broom, but I I can intimidate these kids just by talking to them. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, I know. Because they, they're growing up on the computer and they don't have social skills. Right. And this is a thing that's related to dating and, and what we were talking about before is they, they're not doing this so much because they don't have the personal skills that we've cultivated. And that, and, and, and you, you look at this cancel culture that ha- is going on now. Five years ago, it was really not there. Why is it there now is because these are the kids who grew up with the zero tolerance policy mm-hmm, right. and who had the parents who were making sure that there was no confrontation in their life. And so now you look at what we're creating now with this distance, with the computer exasperating this, what's going to be when they, they become, you know, in the workforce. Yeah, they have, they have, they have no idea how to deal with confrontation. They, they do not know how to deal with stress, but to, to, to the point of the facial recognition, why is zoom, and FaceTime, why are these so popular is because we know for a fact that you can make a, a conversation shorter and more accurate when you can see the facial expressions on the person you're trying to communicate with. Once you have that mask, I mean, you're really at a loss. You might as well be writing them a letter. Yeah, it, but but it, it's also even the Zoom is not the same because you're not feeling their consciousness. Right. And whether you understand you're feeling it or not doesn't mean you're not feeling it. Yeah, I, I think I, I don't think Zoom and FaceTime are actually they may seem like uh, place, almost placebos because it's almost like you're seeing the people, but you're not really seeing them. I, I I watch the awkward Zoom calls where there's just silence, but there's no communication, whereas if you're with someone, there can be silence, but communication. Well, this might be interesting to kind of talk about the silence. So this last couple of weeks, my children have returned back mm-hmm. to school and some parents elected to keep their kids home. Yay for them. Mm. Um, so my kids are back in school and the report I've gotten from all three children. So we're talking two separate schools, different age levels is they return back to the classroom and it's dead silence. The kids don't speak. They don't talk. They don't make eye contact. They just sit at their desk like little robots and just listen to the worst way of learning, which is a teacher sitting in front lecturing. Yeah, because they've been separated for so long. I mean, the trauma that they're they're experiencing. Imagine being a young kid and being instilled with this fear. And this is, you know, the, we, we think that the virus is the pandemic. The, the virus is not the pandemic. The pandemic is going to be the after effects because they're going to live on so strong. You think this cancel culture is bad now. Wait till you see what happens with, with the effects of this, whether it's economic, I mean, social, it's going to be incredible. And and the places who have instilled the most fear, like the United States and and Europe, are going to deal with it the worst. Well, there is a plus personally. Um, James and I both are part of BSA and have our kids in BSA. That's Boy Scouts of America, the old name. Anyways, our kids go outside all the time. They, They do outdoor activities and they're... They are at least once a week expected to work on projects with other children or young people. I feel like what a monstrous advantage they're going to have now as adults because they're going to be able to deal with these things a lot of kids won't be able to deal with as adults. And on top of that, 
if people go into the seclusion, I know this sounds cruel, but if everybody really goes into seclusion with the overpopulation of the planet, the few people that are willing to go outside and have a nice hike in the day are going to be able to because everybody's stuck at their home hiding away. Am I wrong? I don't know. We'll see. That that is certainly uh, scary. Well, actually, it, it 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 might it might be it might be good it might be a good thing if we have a few the young intelligent go getter kids uh, take the lead and start reproducing a little bit more. Uh, and and uh, I don't know how to say this nicely, but um, yeah, you're right. Well, no, I get it's, it's, it. Yeah, it's the, the people opposite. that are going to be that the are not prepared for. Go ahead. I'm it's sorry. the opposite of Idiocracy, the movie, which was basically a, the started with the premise uh, only the the dumb people uh, are reproducing. So in a few hundred years, you're just left with a, a society whose you know mean IQ is like fifty, and <laughs> and, and they water their plants with Gatorade. Do you, you know as a kid? Did you ever read dying. that book? Um, of course, they made a movie, so you might not have seen it. Time Machine. Uh, the um, Jules Verne. So anyways, where I was going, at the end of the book, there's this whole civilization of people that are basically cattle for this monster type being that lives under the earth. And they just come up, grab the humans and come back, go back under the earth and eat them. Basically, because society, through the work of civilization, dumbed the humans down to the point that they were merely cattle. Right. Well, yeah, you see that in all kinds of science fiction. Uh, Soylent Green was kind of like that. But you're right. Maybe it'll be the opposite. Yeah, but the thing you have to think about is the collective consciousness. You know, in, in, in India, there's a lot of sadhus. I don't know if you know what a sadhu is. It's a person who has renounced the worldly uh, way of living, the, you know, having a home and a family. We call them Mennonites. Uh, hang on, no, no, let, him, let him finish. It's not the same, but uh, so they renounce the 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 path of of living in the world to just go meditate and try to be, work on full time being self realized, and and this is what I have done. And when people don't understand this, they say, "Oh, these people are very selfish. They're just doing this for themselves." And you don't understand that, you know, we have this collective consciousness where everything exists. And it's just like when, when inventions would happen before the internet, you know, one person would invent the, the television and so would someone else that mm-hmm. didn't know that because they're all tapping into this collective consciousness. It's just this vibration and where, depending on how your vibration is, where you're connecting to it in this consciousness. And so when these sadhus are meditating, they're affecting the collective consciousness in a, in a positive way because then you have more access to what their knowledge is. And this is why the more people who become self-realized or, or work on this, the more the average person starts to know about it. So when you, you say self-realized, that sounds to me a little bit uh, similar to the Buddhist tradition um, and trying to examine your consciousness and let go. Is that is that a similar? Well, I mean, to put it in a very basic way is to realize your being. And when you realize your, tr- your being you realize God at the same time because, you know, they talk about self-realization is a path or self-awareness is this path. And when you get to the the path, you open this door and you become self-realized and you recognize God, which you are, you know, and, and God permeates everything through this consciousness. When I talk about God being the creator and the creation, mm-hmm. it's just like, 
this cup was made from clay, ceramic, right? You, 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 you take this big ball of clay and you shape it into a cup or an ashtray, and then you call it a cup, but it's just clay. In the same way that everything is God, we shape it into a person, into a tree, into, into whatever it is, but it's just God. And so this idea of become self-realized is to let go of this resistance to finding out who you really are. And it's interesting if you look at Buddhism, when Buddha became self-realized, and I and talking about traveling, I had a, a very fascinating, amazing experience sitting under the Bodhi tree that he became self-realized in Bodh Gaya. And so when I went to India, before I went to India, I saw this documentary called The Yogis of Tibet. And it is very fascinating. You can go on YouTube and watch it for free. And, and it's about how these Tibetan yogis go in these retreats, two and a half years, where they just sit in a cave and meditate for two and a half years. And I thought, wow, what must your mind be like to, to do this? And so when I got to India, I found places where you can start with a 10-day retreat. Mm-hmm. And you for 10 days, you're meditating 10 hours a day without talking. In fact, you're not even allowed to look at the people. You look down at the ground when you walk and everything is prepared for you and and you're meditating 10 hours a day for 10 days without talking. And the first retreat I did like this was in Bodh Gaya, which is the place where Buddha became Buddha. Mm -hmm. And, And so it has a very special energy, just like I was talking about how consciousness in certain places is, is created by, the people and it, it, you know, the energy that's there. And so there's a lot of uh, monasteries in this town is very, it's one of the poorest states in, in, in India, but there's a lot of monasteries there. So this energy is quite heavy there. And I did this 10 day retreat and uh, after meditating for 10 hours a day for 10 days, wow, I went through so many things, but your mind is just crystal clear. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's very psychedelic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible, but you start to look at, at what we consider reality in a very different way. And after the retreat, I, I, I well, I had very interesting experience during the retreat. Do you want to hear about this? Do we have time? Yeah. Okay. During the retreat, you know, it's, it's, they separate the men and the women like all monasteries do in India. And so the men uh, meditate on one side of the the meditation hall, and the women on the other side. And then then they they're, um, the where they sleep is on a different side as well. And so you're not talking to anyone. But the first day I went into breakfast, and uh, you know they have the chai tea, and and so I went to get a second cup of chai tea. And one of the, they have people who are serving, who are are there volunteering to serve. And the one Indian guy, I was the only Western person in this whole retreat in the, in the male section. There were a couple Italian guy, an Italian guy and a Spanish guy who were part of the serving team, like the leaders of, of, of this, and also some Indians. And when I went to get the second chai, the Indian guy came up to me and said, hey, you can't have another chai. You, you Only one per person. But all the Indians were getting second chai. You know, I was the only one he said this to. And then throughout that day, he he scolded me or whatever you want to call it at least five times. Mm. And I realized, okay, he's picking on me because I'm a Westerner. And and so I, I was, you're not speaking to anyone. And when you're not speaking, you're listening. And when you're listening and you're meditating, you're listening to your unconscious and, and it's very loud. 
And this was making me very angry. You know, I was getting, uh, I, I'm about to kill this guy, you know, which is probably not appropriate for a meditation. And so finally I went up to the, one of the Italian guys, the server, and I said, listen, if this guy talks to me again, uh, you know, get him to stop. And he goes, oh, I understand what's going on. Okay, I'll talk to him. And the whole time, at least for the, the, the first four days, I was obsessing about this. And I was thinking, I'm going to tell him how wrong he was to try to help him. That's my, what my clever mind was saying, mm-hmm. is I'm going to tell him this and say this, and he's going to see how wrong this, he was after this retreat. And, and just anger is building up, and this conversation is repeating and repeating. I mean, repeating and repeating for, for you know, 24 hours a day for three days. And then at one point I said, what am I doing? And you realize what we do to ourselves. And imagine that you have an argument with your girlfriend, your wife, or your friend, and you go around the next, or just someone in a, in a store. The, net, the whole day you're replaying that conversation in your mind saying, oh, I should have said this when they said this. I should have said this when they said this. Oh, next time I'm going to say this. I do that all the time. Everyone does. <laughs> I, I, I did it. And what you're doing is it's like taking a drug. You're manipulating the way you feel mm-hmm. because you feel that they took advantage of you in some way. They're controlling and, you. And by, or they harmed you. And and by repeating, okay, I'm going to say this, it makes you physically feel better because it's releasing dopamine, it's releasing all this stuff. And so you're just playing these games of sensation. Mm-hmm. And this is what Buddha discovered is it's not the object that you're addicted to. It's the sensation that that object creates. And, and, he, and, and this guy is, you, you realize then that this guy has basically been controlling you for the past four days. Cause well, not, not just that, about. but, but that, that, well, this is a connection to material things as well, right? Yeah. But the, I mean, this was with anything, you know, when you fantasize about, oh, what can happen or you're living in the past, you, what you're doing is you're creating this physical sensation, whether it's fear, whatever it is, and you're creating this. And this is how your habit patterns are formed is because you observe something from one of the senses, whether it's you say something or you hear something, you think something, you smell something, you feel something, and then you react to it. You see a beautiful girl and you say, oh, I like this. And so that reaction causes a vibration. Everything's vibration. Your whole body right now is a bunch of atoms vibrating so fast that they appear solid, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And so every thing is just a vibration. We call it feelings or we call it emotions, but it's just a vibration. And so when you're getting angry, it creates a particular vibration. And this each vibration, depending on the psychological aspect of it, is located in a different area of the body. And so anger, for example, is located in the chest area. And so what happens when you get angry to your breath? You breathe harder. You're short. You, well, you breathe harder. You breathe faster. You sweat. And what happens to your heartbeat? Does it slow down or speed up? Speeds up, at least for why, me. Why, why is that? It's because the vibration of anger is a very coarse vibration. And the vibration to get all the organs working properly is through this, this what we call prana. Prana is the life force that animates everything that's living. So, for example, when you pick up something, the prana is the energy that goes to the muscle to pick it up. And the more you can concentrate that energy, the stronger you are. This is why if you're not tired and you're focused and your concentration is good, you're stronger. And so this prana is what flows through the, the channels in the body to operate the lungs, to operate the heart, all this thing. 
And when you get angry, this vibration of anger is very dense and it doesn't let the prana flow through it. And so the heart has to beat harder to get the blood pumping properly. The lungs are restricted. They can't expand. So you have to breathe deeper. And when the anger goes away, this dissipates. But if it's a residual, if it's a consistent habit, the residual imprint of this will be left there. And then eventually you'll have heart trouble. You have lung trouble or liver trouble for this. And so you realize that who is the first victim of your anger? You are. And so you're going through this experience and you're saying, well, I'm, I'm harming myself. And my clever mind is saying, I want mm-hmm. to say this to him and to this, this to him to help him. But really, it's not to help him. It's to make me feel better and to make him feel worse. And so about day four, I recognized this and was able to let it go. But for four days, it was a struggle. I mean, uh, because you're not talking to anyone. You're not letting mm-hmm. this out. You're not allowed any books, no pencils, no, nothing. There's no venting to a neighbor. No, there's nothing. And, and not to mention, you're just going deeper and deeper with your meditation. And so you're realizing the depths of your anger. So it was actually a benefit this right. happened to me because it brought out a lot of things. But after the the, the retreat, I was with one of the, the the guys who was serving, the Italian guy and some girls who were in the, in the retreat. And we're walking down the street and we bump into another group who was in the retreat. And that server who was giving me the hard time was in this group. And we all said, hey, let's go have dinner together. And we all sat down and had dinner. And I, I thought to myself, I'm going to talk to him like I just met him. I'm not going to to have any. And it was the first time where I was able really honestly to let go of any anger, mm-hmm. any anything. And I, I felt nothing just like anyone talking to him. I tried to take all these feelings away or not really try. It just happened. And we're talking, he was quite, he's very quiet because he was one of the, maybe there's one or two other Indians, but it was mostly Westerners and he was quiet and he just sat there. And uh, at the end of the night, everyone said, was exchanging Facebook information, you know, because to to do this. And he asked me for my Facebook and I gave it to him. And in a nice way, I just gave it to him. And about a, a few weeks later, a month later, he sent me a message and he said, I have a lot of anger. Can you help me with it? And I realized that if you want to help someone, this is how you do it. Not by trying to be clever with your words and tell them what they should have done. And wait till they ask. And well, if they also ask, show them. Yeah. To show them, to, to be the example. Rather than, you know, and this is the classic thing when people say, you know, fight fire with fire. Well, actually, if you fight fire with water, you might get better results. Yeah. It, it, it's really learning how, you know, you can't control the way someone is, but you can control the way you react. Right. And this is the thing that Buddha discovered in this. You know, he tried every form of meditation until he became self-realized and realized this way he discovered is that you have to observe the sensations that are building in your body, because what happens, like I was saying, is you see something you like or you hate or you feel something from one of the senses and you react to it, whether it's aversion or attachment. Mm. And you don't recognize this. And this is what forms your behavior. So, for example, you know, you're, you're going through an emotional part of your life and you're not feeling good about yourself. And then you start to notice that you're eating when you're not hungry you know, or you're engaging some behavior that's a distraction because you look at someone who's neurotic and they can't sit still because they have all these sensations and they have to manage them. And we do this through our behavior. This is why you say, oh, every time I get angry, I do this. Or every time I get scared, I do this is because you get the sensation and that sensation triggers the behavior. And another sensation. 
Well, interesting. Uh, when we do this podcast and we have visitors, um, James will often ask a funny question at the end, but we often ask more serious questions toward the middle. And this is an ongoing thing with me because I'm the one kind of watching the sound consistently when the guest gets asked a difficult question, they take one or two of their fingers and start tapping on the table, which of course is now being recorded. And I have to ask them, Oh, would you mind not? Or sometimes I just let it ride, but you're right. It physically, you, as soon as James asks them a challenging question, it always comes out in their finger on the table. So yeah, almost consistently. Well, you, you look at, you know, there's this uh, psychi- psychiatrist who, or psychologist uh, who, who came up with how to read the emotion in the faces. They made a TV show about him, Lie to Me or something oh, like I that. Oh, I love that show with the British actor. Yeah, but but he, the real guy who, who I, I've studied his books talks about the micro expressions and the way he learned it was very interesting is he had, he was doing research to determine, this is back in the 60s, whether... Facial expressions are cultural or they're innate. Mm -hmm. And so he was traveling around and he just kept thinking, well, how can you tell? Because everyone was watching Western movies now and even in the 60s. So he went to a tribe in Africa who had never been exposed to anything to study this. And he he was really studying this for years. And he had a friend who worked at a, a mental facility where people would be admitted if they tried to commit suicide. And they would meet with this guy and talk about are they ready to leave yet? So they, the person who tried to commit suicide maybe a couple of days later, a week or whenever would have a meeting with the, the head guy at this mental home. And he would, they would say, are you ready to leave? And he would let them out. And a lot of them would continue to kill, would kill themselves. And he had all these interviews videotaped. And so he talked about to his friend who was the guy who was studying the facial expressions, the micro expressions. Mm-hmm. He's saying, is there some way we can see if they're being honest or if they're not? And so he went, you know, millisecond by millisecond and watched hundreds of these videos and was able to determine the emotion on the people's face when they're hiding something, when they're lying. And it's quite fascinating because when I counsel people, I talk to them and I watch their face. And when I say something, I can see their face twitch. I can see mm-hmm. movement in their eye. And you can see it in course behavior. When people get uncomfortable, they keep fidgeting and they keep moving around like you're saying. And so it's all to manage this emotion. And if you look at the true yogi can be still in chaos. And when you learn to observe without reacting, what it does is it takes away the habit patterns because these habit patterns are reinforced when you continue them. They get stronger and stronger. So if you feel this anger, you're not supposed to try to repress it. You're supposed to just observe. So, okay, I can feel the sensation in my chest. I can feel my lungs. I can see what my mind is doing and just observe it until it eventually dissipates. Right, so it's it's kind of separating consciousness from the autonomous or automatic processes of the body. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. You made me think of some uh, recent science article that I saw that was a little bit scary there. Uh, some of the AI uh, technology that's being researched now is uh, trying to focus in on the micromuscular contractions. That yeah, no, I've seen that. Which that it's, it's almost exactly like the show, right? Oh, they're, so they're, they're trying to focus on the micromuscular uh, contractions that happen when you're thinking words in your head because you're partially vocalizing them. And so they're trying to use that to actually literally le- read your mind, seeing what's going on in your head. 
so the, I don't know not uh, <laughs> oh right so the micro expressions um, and then to be really dumb uh, to take you the, the all all the wisdom you've just dumped on us and turn it into something a little less uh, or more more practical for our American listeners uh, I play video game online video games a lot at night and I noticed a few weeks ago the same thing would happen I mean for years uh, something would happen in the game that I didn't like and I would stew on it and it would make me angry. And then, I don't know, for just one day, uh, I sent a message to someone who had kind of, you know, who had uh, dissed me in the video game. I sent him a good game. GG is what we do. And it immediately released all that negative feelings. And it's just, it would seem like it was just, it's almost like a, a hack. I'm just able to release it by just not stewing on it and say, good game. You know, send out a little bit of positive. So that's the PSA for this week. Well, well say good game. Well, well, bringing this back to, to this concept of self-realization. So when I talked about this anger and stuff, this, these are very coarse vibrations and what you're trying to do, the whole process of life of yoga in the word yoga means union. And so when we talk about yoga, we're talking about the union between you and your higher self, which is self-realization and you and God, which is God realization. And, you're training yourself to go from the coarse vibrations to the subtle vibration. And the most subtle vibration is God. Mm. And so once you're able to let go of this vibration of anger and, and, and just, this is why meditating for long uh, amounts of time and it, you go deeper and deeper, you start to recognize the very, very subtle because you build up the sensitivity. You know, we talk about hearing this intuition and many people don't know if they're hearing their intuition or not. They say it's a voice in my head. Well, if you're thinking, you're not hearing it because the vibration of thought is very coarse compared to the vibration of intuition. And the only way to hear the intuition is to stop thinking. And this is very difficult for most people. But once you learn how to do that, it's a sensation. Everything is a sensation. And when you can recognize that sensation, you can recreate it. And even what is really interesting when you go down this path to self-realization, if you ever met anyone who's self-realized, you can feel their vibration and you, you know what it's like. And that when you become self-realized, you know all truth. And when you're going down this path, I could understand this is because truth has a particular vibration. If someone is lying to you and it's obvious they're trying to sell you a car, you can say, oh, I can feel this guy's energy. He's not honest but it gets more and more subtle. And so you start to understand truth better through this meditation, through understanding the vibration of truth. And this is fascinating. And even I remember in, in February of, of 2020, before the lockdowns and all this, I said, this is not what they're saying is not true. You can look at what they're saying and what's going on. And it's very easy to start to understand mm -hmm. truth the more you go down this path. Sounds like uh, you're the kind of guy I want to have next time I go to buy a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, that may be hard because, it, I mean, their whole disposition is, is yeah, I mean, you, you would be able to sense a little bit. You, I think the more you go down this path, the more the truth is obvious to you. And, and I've, I've sat by self-realized people and you, you can see this. And I've had these glimpses of being able to experience this. And it's, it's a very interesting path. And it's the path that everyone is on. You know, we people talk about, when did you join the spiritual path? That's an interesting, I'm sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but that's an interesting point. You, you get a glimpse of it. And that's and all I've ever gotten of, I don't know if you want to call it truth or consciousness or, it's hard to maintain. Well, it's, it's hard unless you 
practice like anything. So I'm a jit. You have a podcast of your own. And I think people that this is a more serious podcast than we normally do. And I, I think it's been Am awesome. Am I being too serious? No, no. It, it, you know, I can seriousness, laugh more what I say. <laughs> seriousness can mean anything. But my, my, where I was going with this is I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in hearing more from you. And so tell us a little bit about your podcast and where they can go to hear, hear you speak and, and some of the things that you do. Okay. Before I do that, I want to finish that story. Uh, I was telling you about India and in, in, uh, Bodh Gaya. So after I had this, this uh, dinner with the, the people, the next day I went to sit under the, the Bodhi tree. And this is the, the tree that Buddha became self-realized. And the, tree the branches of the tree on the expand quite quite some distance and i wanted to get a couple leaves from the tree to send to some friends but you can't pick them from the tree i mean this is you you can't do this it's a sacred tree yeah yeah of course and so you have to wait till they fall and so i get there one day and there's a like a 13 and 14 year old kid and he's just running A, a leaf falls and he runs and picks it up Another one falls and I go, I'm not going to outrun this kid and I don't want to. <laughs> and, and so I, I go, I'm just going to sit down and watch him. And when he gets tired, then I'll, I'll be here. So I sit down and after about 30 seconds of sitting down, a leaf fell on my foot. And so I picked it up and about 20 seconds later, a second leaf fell the same place. And about another minute, the third leaf fell the same place. And I picked all three leaves up and I walked away. And if you calculate the probability of that happening, it's got to be a, a number with about 20 zeros. I mean, they're, 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 it's impossible because of the amount of leaves that fall is not so much. And then the, the how big that space is, is, is huge. It's, it's, it's almost two times as big as this patio we're on. And so what are the chances of that happening? And what was that message that I received at that moment? But anyway, getting to my podcast. So my, my podcast is called The Story of Me with Amarjit Singh. And uh, I talk about what I, what I teach and I write about. I, I guess I would consider myself a writer before anything else. And, and I write about these ideas that we're talking about today and, and yoga psychology and all these concepts of learning how to understand yourself better so that you can, you know, my whole purpose of everything I do is about self-expression because if you look at who you are you are the creative manifestation of the creator you are creativity and what does creativity do but express itself and and so this is my objective is to help people to help myself learn how to express yourself without resistance and so this is what I teach I travel around mainly Europe and, and uh, India, and, and sometimes I come to the U.S. and teach. And, uh, and this is what I talk about on my podcast. Sometimes I have guests on there and we talk about their psychological development and whatever they have done, and I have different guests. Tell us your web address. It's the storyofmepodcast.com. And it's got also a lot of uh, little short stories there. Okay, and then you also have another website, yes? Yeah, I have the podcast website, which is now is the main website that I have. It's the storyofmepodcast.com, and it just has all the information about the podcast and also a little about me. And then I have my main website, amarjitsingh.com, which is 
about my travels and about my workshops. And I was writing for a yoga blog. And so there's links to this. You can find some of my writing. And then the third website I have is Sing Flutes, is <laughs> uh, the company I have where I make hand make uh, Native American style flutes. And we didn't talk anything about the flutes and I really wanted to. So I was hoping maybe you could come back in a couple weeks and then talk a little bit about your flute making. Of course. Amarjit Singh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I just really appreciate you taking the time to come all the way over here from India. Yeah, <laughs> I came in just for this podcast. Great. Yeah, thanks. It was nice to be on the show and, and uh, yeah, it was great. Thank James, you. thanks so much for oh, being thank here you. also. All right. Talk to y'all soon. Bye. Heat Stroke is brought to you by Markers in Motion. Audio engineer, Christopher Furman. If you'd like to contact Heatstroke, go to heatstrokepodcast.com. Sun is out so bright. Don't you come on out, it's making light, light and bright for you. Don't you see me? Take a boo. Don't you feel me? It's morning dew. All I want yes. is a cup. Yes. A very large cup. Yes. In my hand. Yes. A large cup. Hot. Warm. Oh. Cup. It's not tea. And it must be dark, dark brown. Oh, it's very brown. Make it hot, make it hot, make it very, very hot. Coffee. Once upon a midnight dreary, well, I was pounding weak and weary. Upon your phone, it looked so dreary. I got a suggestion that would make you cheery. It's gorgeous. They got floors with fishes and fairies, bubbles and berries, cats and canaries. So as you're looking for something a little unique, go to our website and go take a peek. That's G-O-R-A-G-E-O-U-S dot com. Gorgeous floor for the outrageous look. Uh, I have one last question. You can cut out this. Uh, have you ever done any psych- uh, psychotics, any psychedelics in oh, your I've pursuit? Done, of- I've done oh. more than you could imagine. And has that helped you with your self-realization? You know, I've had some very interesting experiences where I can t- tell you an experience I had is, is you know, when I, I was talking earlier off the mic to, to Christopher and about when I did my yoga teacher training and they said, okay, the first day, no drinking, alcohol, no tobacco, no drugs. And so I said, okay, this teacher training is one year. I'm going to do this. And uh, if I like it, I'll stay this way. And, and so I did it and I stopped drinking. I stopped doing all this and, and I felt good and I, I stopped this. And then for about 10 years, I was like this. And then I moved into an ashram in Berlin. And in this ashram, it was a nice ashram. And for some reason, I started to think, oh, I want to to uh, experience mushrooms, you know, because when I did it, I was younger, I was going to parties, I would like to try to meditate on it. Mm-hmm. And so I was teaching a yoga class at four in the morning. And very few people were coming and sometimes most of the time no one was coming, but it was a big, beautiful meditation hall in, in, in Berlin out looking at a beautiful garden and I would just do it by myself. And so I said, okay, once a month, I'm going to make a tea out of the mushrooms at three in the morning, three thirty in the morning. And I'm going to go down and, and teach yoga and hopefully no one shows up that day. And I just do yoga by myself. 
And I did this for once a, once a month for a year. And doing it in this way had a tremendous mm. impact. And, and it, it was quite interesting experience. But now that I've gotten into these long retreats, in fact, the longest retreat I did was 40 days by myself in a cave meditating 10 hours a day. And there was nothing more psychedelic than that without anything. In fact, if the next time I remind me, I can tell you this story. After I came out of the retreat in Bodh Gaya, I did two more retreats back to back, which you're not supposed to do in the beginning. And I had some issues dealing with reality hmm. for about four months that I still can't explain. Maybe that we should say that for the next podcast. Yeah, yeah that's what he okay. just said. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm saying right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just like in Buddhism, nothing has value. It's the relationship you have with it that gives you the value. And and would I suggest people to, to do psychedelics? I, I think... Well, let's not get into the medical... Uh, yeah, I mean, especially I mean, I just, not. Well, in, if I'm talking about that, I did it. No, I understand. I'm not that. saying it's for everyone, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. It it just depends. And at this moment, it, I don't do this, but at that moment, it, it worked well. Right, for it's, me. Just, it's a little more complicated. But, here but in the yeah, US. it's complicated because it has a, a very strong relationship with the ego, and, and most people don't know how to understand this, and so mm -hmm. they misunderstand it. 